Hello, Wild Wanders, and welcome to our wicked window of the internet. Won't you pour yourself a cup of your best tea, light a candle to stave away the darkness, and cozy up as we tell you a story? Wittershins is a weekly podcast where we will dive into dusty bookshelves and winding darkened pathways looking to stories from folklore, fairy tales, mythology, legend, and beyond. We are accompanied by our trusted bard and guitarist, Joe Saborin, who will be live composing for us as our characters find their way out of the thickets and snarls of their tales. My name is Ashley Nunez, and I will be your narrator to peer over bough and branch, following our heroes and foes into far distant lands, both familiar and unknown. Let us begin Once Upon a Time. Hey everyone, this is your narrator, Ashley. And Joe, your bard. And we are back now with episode 4B, Behind the Story, or the poem rather, for The Goblin Market by Christina Rossetti. So I'm a little confused. This is definitely a poem, right? Well, yeah. I mean, it's a poem. It follows rhythms. It is actually in stanzas, although the stanzas are pretty irregular. Um, You know, it has a narrative structure, but it's definitely in poem form. Very cool. So it's kind of like the Iliad or the Odyssey, where it's a poem that tells a whole story. Yes, not not quite the scope, but definitely has some of that flair to it with sort of the, the denouement and all of that that goes along with the story. Hmm. So one of the things I really wanted to talk about with this one, we definitely hit a very different kind of groove doing this poem. Um, I think it's the first time I've actually played something that that has like a beat and a groove and it drives as opposed to just sort of ambient guitar parts. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely a very rhythmic poem. Uh, I mean, once you kind of get past the first portion where it's really describing, uh, what the goblin men are hawking, uh, even that does have your, your rhymes and it does follow a sort of cadence. But once you start getting into the story a little bit more, it definitely has more of a flow and a real groove to it. By the end, um, I know this means nothing because we're uh, we're a podcast, but Ash's hands were kind of moving and and very much like a performer on a stage. It was it was fascinating to watch happen um, as the person kind of writing the music along to it. Um, it's also interesting that that Christina Rossetti, who wrote the poem, um, wrote songs. Um, I did a little bit of research today, and uh, she actually wrote one of my favorite Christmas songs um, in the bleak midwinter. Um, which wasn't originally set to music. Uh, Gustav Holtz was the first one to set it to music later on. Um, but just knowing that she's written more than one thing now that's been set to music, and um, some of her other poems have inspired uh, a whole album of piano music um, and things like that, uh, it's very interesting to see how quickly we caught on to that rhythm. Yeah, I mean, she's also a very prolific poet and has done a lot of work, so... Um, you know, I would say for me, this is obviously a very well-known work and it's definitely one of my favorites and one of the reasons why we have it on the podcast. But, um, it's also something that a lot of people that I know, know of it. And it's something that it is referenced a lot in books of poetry or in books of like fairy stories and things like that. Well, the imagery is so lush too. Like you, you can see exactly what she's talking about, um, with the goblin market and with the fruit and it's it's very it, 
it's there. It's very living. Yeah, I mean, in, in my other world with Old Growth Alchemy, I've been inspired by this a lot with a lot of my creations. And it's it's one of those things that I really love about stories, um, you know, particularly ones that are definitely a bit more uh, whimsical and magical that, you know, I, I live for the the food sequences and for the banquets and for the, the heavy laden tables. So this is definitely one of those that... It just makes me want to have a feast. <laughs> if you want to have a feast uh, and read something about feasts, Redwall is is a thing. Yeah, it's another really great, great one. It's it's <laughs> this the Redwall will be for the children. The Goblin Market is for the adults. <laughs> is the Goblin Market Redwall after dark? I think it might be. Mm, I wouldn't quite go there, but you know, it definitely has that lush food imagery. It's goblin market just kind of takes it a little bit further so this also inspired an old growth alchemy tea or a bitters so it did inspire tea um about a year ago um so for 2019 for when this is no longer 2020 um but i also just created um another bitters called fairy food so it's it's this idea of the forbidden fruit the forbidden food that you get from the fae the things you're not really supposed to eat because there's going to be consequences i mean this is obviously really heavily used throughout the poem and that you know there's always a price to pay for what you want um it's something that you know appears in all sorts of fairy stories this one is definitely um quite heavy-handed with that do you think that's intentional or do you think that's something that that you and i read into this poem Oh no! I mean, it's definitely intentional, and uh, your your leading question is. I'm it, really bad at segues. I'm so sorry. <laughs> your, your leading question is very indicative of the uh, the part of this that is, you know, this story for me. I mean, obviously, it's about the forbidden fruit. It's about the temptation. You know, it, it's not too far off to assume that it is a moral allegory, um, which it is. And it is a very Christian moral allegory. Um, You know, it's about all the temptations, how you need to come back for it, and really only, like, the pure of heart and the one not tempted is the one who can pull the fallen out of it. Um, You know, it's, it's very obviously there, I think, but there's also a lot more to be read behind it. I think that one of the things that that I struggle with as as a musician and and a writer and and that you've struggled with um, telling stories through Old Growth Alchemy pertains to this, where um, you get into this place where you can have this intention and sometimes people just don't hit that intention or sometimes um, as an artist, you don't have an intention and people want to read more into it. Neil Pert from Rush uh, gives this great interview where he talks about uh, their song the trees and everyone um wanted it to be about you know canadian u.s relations and oh there's trouble with the trees and all of that sort of thing and uh, in this interview he says no nah, I, I was watching cartoons and i wrote a song um so i think that this definitely opens up that conversation of is the art what the listener or the reader or the viewer makes of it? Or is it what the author intends or a place in the middle? Where does that sit for you? Oh gosh, this is just such a big lengthy conversation. I mean, I've, it's hard. It's really hard to say there is no correct answer. You know, debates have gone on for years and over internet and like, it's just, 
it's so entangled because you have on the one hand, you know, yeah, there's an intention of an artist, of a writer, of a maker, of whatever. And there's something to be said for that because obviously they're putting their creative energy into something and then what we have left is their offering to that. I think that that's worth something. But at the same time, you can't discount the fact that there's very clearly something to be said for what someone takes out of it. You know, I can make something that I intend to be this really wonderful, powerful thing and has this really deep backstory. And, you know, it happens when I make my bitters a lot where I'm saying like, you know, you can use it for this really in-depth purpose and this is why I made it and these are why I chose these herbs and someone's just like, yeah, this tastes good. And I'm like, you know what? That's cool too. (laughs) That's also correct. Um, So I think that, yes, both are valid. Both are important. Um, It's interesting when they clash and when they kind of go against each other or when people really latch on to one particular part of it, ignoring the other. I mean, this also gets into a larger art versus artist. Um where, you know, part of it is the intention of the art and why it was made, but there's also within that wrapped up the layers of, like, who is the artist? Like, you know, what's their background? Why did they make the things that they make? Um, Because someone's background is going to be really telling for the work that they do. And I think that's why I wanted to talk about this, because in kind of getting done reading the poem... um, I've never read this poem before. Uh, So just kind of finding this place where I was like, okay, I think I know what this poem is about. And then going and reading about the author's background and, and beliefs and kind of where, uh, where they were at and what people kind of think this poem's about. It's very different from what I think you and I hit on last night while we were talking about it. Um, so yeah, it's definitely definitely something worth talking about. Definitely something worth having a uh, conversation about. Um, we did something different uh, last night when we were reading uh, this poem. You stood up to read this poem. Kind of made it more of a performance. Yeah, I mean, I started um, I started reading it sitting down. How I've been reading it the whole time. Um, this is a different sort of experience, as with all the other works that we've done. Um, I actually have had copies of the book, so, you know, you might have picked up on the the pages flipping as I'm reading through things. Um, this is the only one that I have not had a copy of, um, so we were using it um, and reading it digitally. And it was just challenging to kind of sit and read. Just there's There's momentum in this, both in terms of the the way it's per, like the or the way you read it and also the way that you know Joe is composing behind it there's very clearly movement to it so reading it sitting was just not really working i was finding that i was kind of moving while sitting anyway and we just decided you know what let's just try having me stand and so i did that and it became much more of a performance than any of the other readings the other ones were more expressive readings i guess Uh, This one was very clearly a performance. Uh, You know, we don't really have the video, obviously, from it. Um, So I hope that you can hear the difference in quality from the previous uh, episodes we've been doing in the last one. 
but you know, from my perspective, there, like Joe was saying, I was moving my hands. It was, it was a very sort of rolling thing of keeping myself going and keeping myself on the beat and on all of that while he was playing along with it. It was definitely cool for me too, with you moving your hands and with you kind of moving with it. Um, it was much easier to see where um, a stop might take place or where um, we were building to something. Uh, things like that became much more apparent. Yeah, I mean, so we've been together, working together, collaborating on things for quite a while. And just in terms of even performances, I mean, we have both performed together before. And I mean, Joe's been a you know, professional musician performing for years and years. And one of the things that he picks up on is cues with the band. And it's something where this was definitely more, I would say, similar to that than the other ones. I mean, there's definitely cues that we kind of give each other where we will make eye contact and sort of nod or put out our hand or do something or acknowledge each other and, you know, sort of indicate like, okay, stop here. Okay, draw that out. Okay, pause. And, you know, this one I think was a lot more of a dynamic experience. One of the things I've learned over years of like leading a band or working in a duo with someone is um, subtlety doesn't really work in those cases, um, especially uh, like I've worked in bands where we've used what's called in-ears, where we can't hear each other talking on stage, so everything has to be visual. And that visual element just from last week to this week of the hand motion and kind of counting with the hand and um, myself counting out loud and like really being like, okay, here's a pause and like counting beat, it it added a different dimension and a different musicality to this this reading that I, I hope we keep doing because it's very, very cool, very, very cool moment to sit in. Yeah, I think it was a lot of fun. I mean, you know, I we're not exactly going to get this from a normal story. Um, I think we can probably find things in more poems, and I know that we are looking into ballads, so that will be something that we'll be exploring uh, at some point. <laughs> One of the things that this poem gets compared to a lot, um, just in my research, is another uh, 19th century um masterpiece that's also been set to music um which is the rhyme of the ancient mariner um any chance we'll hear that on the podcast uh yeah i think that'll make an appearance maybe something we could do next week Eh, we'll see (laughs) have a good week guys Wittershins is created by Ashley Nunez of Old Growth Alchemy and folk musician Joe Saborin in the presence of their curious cat Django, a few too many half-drunk cups of tea, and far too many begrudgingly half-completed art projects. If you'd like to follow along Joe and his musical machinations, you can find him at Joe Saborin Music on Facebook and Instagram, or joesaborin.com. For more glimpses into the wild woods of story, botanical libations, and sensual ephemera, you can find me, Ashley, at Old Growth Alchemy on Facebook and Instagram, or at oldgrowthalchemy.com. Or you can become patrons to us both on Patreon. Until next time, friends new and old, we'll be sure to keep the kettle on with a seat open for you by the fire. Mm